is Dan Palitza. This is the podcast, There Are Only Waves. This is episode four of There Are Only Waves. To remind you all, this is a podcast where I tell the story of my spiritual journey from evangelical Christianity to where I am now. My intention is to form a community where people from both spiritual and non-spiritual backgrounds can talk to each other on an even playing field. I want to foster a conversation where people can feel heard about where they're coming from and not be afraid to talk about what they actually believe. As I intend to form a community with this podcast, part of my community formation has to do with getting other voices onto the podcast other than my own. Today on my show, I have Crystal King on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, Crystal currently works at Hana Center as an adult educator in Albany Park in Chicago. She originally hails from Fremont, California, and has been on quite the spiritual journey with religion Today on the show, I want to explore with her what it was like growing up in a strict religious household on her own journey away from religion to where she is. So my first question to you is, how would you describe the church that you grew up in, in terms of practice, culture, and denomination? So I grew up in a Korean immigrant church, which in itself is its own thing, regardless of denomination for the most part. However, um, a lot of Korean churches are either Presbyterian or Pentecostal. Not all, but many. I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic church that was technically Southern Baptist. And in terms of practice, I would say that prayer, a lot of loud, fervent prayer, is definitely a key practice in the Korean church. Um, But because we were charismatic, there was also a big emphasis on miracles and signs and wonders. Hmm. So... I guess one of my questions is from previous conversations I had with you is just about how you saw God. Um, so in my understanding, there's been this male image of God that was kind of put on you. And I'm wondering, how did you internalize and deal with that? I think the male image of God is something that affects a lot of people. Um, I think that is just has been true historically, culturally. Even the way the Bible describes God is very masculine. Mm-hmm. So that is something yeah. that um, is pretty common, not just for me. However, I also struggled with this uh, two images of God, I think, or I think they merged into my mind as one. But one was white male God, mm-hmm. white male American God. And I got that just from years of VBS in different white American churches Mm -hmm. and also just having grown up in the United States as an American too, uh, based on also artwork, literature, everything in in, uh, Christian culture that pointed to God as white and male and uh, very individualistic. Mm -hmm. The other part though is that I also simultaneously envisioned God as a very stern Korean man in a suit. And I think that projection is just from a lifetime of seeing spiritual authorities um, manifested in Korean men. So that's something that I struggle with. But either way, uh, both of these images of God were pretty far from me in the sense that they were both uh, in their own way like strict or stern and just not very intimate or not understanding of who I was. Hmm. So... I mean, I wonder, you you grew up with that as a kid, um, but in your adulthood, you continued to to sort of go along with your charismatic Korean roots, your evangelical roots. So I'm wondering, 
what made you continue along as an adult with those beliefs and following Christianity like that? Yeah, um, I think for a lot of people, coming of age happens in your teenagers or people go to college to find themselves. For me, I consider myself more of a late bloomer in this area. Mm. In the sense that I don't think I came and started coming to my true self until my mid to late 20s, which is still fairly recent. And I think the reason for that is because my worldview and my beliefs were so strong and all the systems around me were so oppressive that it took uh, it took me longer to start realizing um, that I don't actually align with these things. And a lot of these uh, beliefs and doctrines that I grew up with don't resonate with me. So mm-hmm. there was, it was a lot to overthrow. And even then, um, it, it took many, many years of uh, me building the courage over and over again to try to question things. It also took therapy. It also took me getting married. It took me finishing seminary. Uh, there were a lot of things that aligned at once, mm-hmm. but it was a long process. Yeah. So what were some of the key turning points for you and how you began to deconstruct your Christian faith? Yeah, I would say that um, one key turning point would have to have been in seminary. Uh, when I entered seminary, I already had questions and some thoughts about the gender of God and what does it mean for me to be born in and made in God's image if I was assigned female at birth and my experience in the world is as a girl and as a woman. Like, what does that mean? Uh, does God see me? Um, and for so long, I had this idea that I had to become more masculine or, I, or that I had to become a boy to be closer with God. So, and because in undergrad I studied feminist ethics, so these were some issues that I was already starting to think about, but having attended a pretty conservative seminary where women weren't, were allowed very, very limited positions of leadership, if at Mm -hmm. all, Mm -hmm. um, it just took me delving into a lot of um, very intense theology and not just heady theology, but like true embodied theology Mm -hmm. for me to get to to get to the core of the questions, like who is God, who am I? Um, what does it mean to live in the world? Um, why do I exist? Uh, what am I made of and who am I made for? All those types of questions. One major turning point for me was uh, also the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. And, and during this time I was also in therapy. Um, I started therapy because I was working at a Korean church and I burned out really hard to the mm. point where I was struggling a lot with mental health. I was hallucinating. I started struggling with paranoia. Mm-hmm. I also had a lot of self-harm during that time that no one knew about. But in my therapy process, there was a big emphasis on identity searching. And as I started to become more and more confident as in my identity as a woman, and I started to really internalize this idea that God manifests as both um, male and female, based on Genesis 1, that mm-hmm. mankind is created, is created in God's image, that male and female, they are created. Um, and this is a whole other story, but now um, I'm actually currently in trying to explore that even more, and that binary even more of male and female, and what does that mean? Um, but anyhow, uh, at the time, I started to become more confident in my gender identity. And during the Black Lives Matter movement was when I started to really 
come into my racial identity and experience that more fully. And a big part of it had to do with my seminary being very predominantly white, being exoticized, um, always having to explain myself, um, things that I would consider fairly normal, but there's um, a lot of uh, marginalized experiences, which I was actually fortunate to have been shielded from compared to a lot of other Asian Americans. But um, it got really intense for a period of time. And I just felt like I was spending a lot of my time educating white people. And then during that whole movement, I started to really understand and place myself in the history of humankind. Like, like who am I? How did I get here? I started to uh, really look, really start reading um, black American writers. Hmm. I look into their leadership to find my place and my racial identity. I had the privilege of meeting one of the Little Rock Nine when mm. I was in Northern California. And I just remember having this moment where I realized that if it weren't for the strength and the leadership of uh, many people in the black community, that the civil rights movement wouldn't have happened, which meant that the Immigration Act wouldn't have passed, mm. which meant that my parents would not have been able to come from Korea they would not have met and there's a high chance that I would not have been born. Hmm. So in so many ways, um, I have, I am so grateful for that. Um, so cool. that got me to really also deconstruct everything else about myself and who hmm. God is. Hmm. So you've been kind of talking about this already. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering, you, you were talking a lot about what was happening in seminary for you. And I'm curious from that place to where you were kind of now, like, could you kind of expand more on like that transition from being in seminary and talking about sort of what sounds like a journey of deconstruction, just in all these different types of ways that you kind of saw God, saw yourself, where have you, like kind of where do you feel like you've landed? Yeah, so towards the end of my seminary, I actually stopped reading the Bible about halfway into seminary, but towards the end, this uh, theology of the image of God and being made in God's image started to hit me really strong, mm. uh, really strongly, where I started to um, to see the image of God everywhere, and that there's something about restoring God's image and dignifying marginalized people and redeeming myself and being a healing agent for others. There's something about that that felt so much more meaningful and powerful than just the gospel that I grew up with that had more to do with individual salvation. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a sinner, I need Jesus, I put my faith in Jesus and now I'm saved, you know, that that type of narrative. Yeah. So that was towards the end, but um, I would say that having been a pastor's kid and not just a pastor's kid, but I'm actually a pastor's grandkid mm -hmm. and pastor's niece. And I married another pastor's kid <laughs> and I worked at church. I got yeah. my Master of Divinity. Basically, and this was a shock to me too. I got to a place after I married mm -hmm. where I checked off every box so that nobody could look at me and say that I'm not a good enough Christian. Mm. And I think getting married to a quote unquote like a nice Christian guy was the last box that I checked off. So I just came to this realization, like, what if none of this matters? What if mm -hmm. nobody else's opinions matter? What yeah. if all those external boxes? What if I didn't need to be a Christian for anybody else? Because at that point, I had stepped down from ministry. Mm -hmm. I had nobody looking up to me for spiritual guidance. Yeah, I'd already gotten my MDiv. 
Yeah. Which means if I were a man, then I could have been ordained in my denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had done so much ministry. I come from a long a line of pastors and a strong mm-hmm. heritage of like evangel- evangelists and church planners and revivalists. Mm-hmm. And then I married a pastor's kid. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially, like, what happens after I check all the boxes? And I stopped needing to be anything for anybody anymore. And that's when I started to realize and it was like a ton of bricks like wow i don't believe in any of this shit yeah (laughs) that's what it came to yeah so do you feel like now that you have sort of exited the church exited ministry um finding more value in just kind of being a person and being more person-centric absolutely um what do you think like, what would you want to share with people that are on this journey that are trying to figure out um, what does it mean? Like, obviously, you can't speak for everybody in the world, but I'm kind of curious, like, when you talk to people about spirituality, um, what kind of conversations do you feel like you end up having if you're not defending yourself? If you're trying to help somebody, what do you think? What do you end up talking about? That's a great question. Um, I think where I stand now is you're, I think you're right. It is more just being a person um i've come to realize you need to be a human being first before Mm -hmm. you're a christian or a person of any other faith um i would say a lot of my conversations now have more to do with purpose um i draw some of this from i i did a two years of something called dialectical behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. which which is basically emotionally focused therapy and one of the things I really took away was this idea of living according to your values. Mm. And me, um, as someone who very much craves and uh, tries, uh, craves and values authenticity, mm-hmm. um, that's something that I really took away. So just this idea of like values um, and aligning your goals and your priorities accordingly. Um, I I think one aspect of Christianity that I still carry right now, or maybe not an aspect of Christianity, but still a common belief, is this idea that every person is still is inherently worthwhile. Every person is inherently uh, valuable mm-hmm. and worthy of love and dignity and respect. So that kind of drives what I do now. So a lot of my conversations are. Uh, surrounded around that this whole idea of like of human worth human dignity mm-hmm. and that also drives me to uh further social justice endeavors i think it just gets the part where it gets really difficult is if i were to truly believe that every single person deserves to be humanized mm-hmm. then what does that actually look like yeah even for people who have uh, committed horrendous acts um for all the extreme evil that i, I see in the world mm-hmm people who are so different than me or not just in views but just their entire lifestyle or like to be honest even people who might not uh see me as a valid dignified human being mm-hmm. in any way or even people who don't or who see me as lesser than um, yeah. what does it mean for me to actually humanize them and mm-hmm. to think of them that way so mm-hmm. i would say these are kind of the topics that my conversations around more lately yeah um so one thing that I, I mean, just to more, more explain how I've met you as a, as a friend, um, we met through another mutual friend, but one of the th- earliest things we connected on was sort of growing up both in conservative Christian um, just backgrounds. 
and we both have gone to seminary. Um, we both were, we both have done ministry and were aiming to do ministry. And since then, you've invited me to um, just a liturgist. And I want to explain that a little bit to people that don't know what that is. Liturgist is a podcast. Uh, and the whole, th- the whole podcast is around deconstructing Christianity and forming people that are kind of in a, I guess, a place where they're just trying to figure things out. Um, and they have, the, the podcast has birthed many local chapters throughout the country, um, with a particularly strong one in Chicago. And I just want to ask you more about that because I've gone to, like, I, I mean, I went to one event and then I've met some of your friends on a different occasion or a few occasions, uh, different things that you've hosted. And I'm curious for you, um, you can speak a lot more about this than I can actually, um, but like what what has been valuable for you in being like part of this like another group of people that have been in church, have left, or maybe still are in church, but are kind of in this deconstruction mode. Um, what has been what like what kind of drew you to that group yeah that's a great question um my therapist actually i I brought up therapy a lot but um she actually recommended the liturgist podcast to me okay i discovered it i first heard about it from somebody else but i didn't think too much about it and then she was like i love the liturgist you should check this out i remember uh listening to one of their meditations and that was pretty cool and then I started listening to um, a podcast they had called Woman, um, an episode that they had called Woman, and I started listening to another one that they had around, around race in America. And it was um, the one, and then the one after that was about spiritual trauma, and it resonated with me so deeply. And I felt like it put so many words to my experience that I, I couldn't articulate. But it was also, um, it, in some ways, it gave me so much freedom to know that. I'm not alone, that there are mm. people who have asked similar questions and people whose faith and worldviews are also evolving, just like mine is. And that was a huge source of encouragement because at the time, is my community and where I was, it's as if it felt as if nobody else knew what the hell I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the feedback I got from people around me that I would start sharing with would be... Um, you know, just that I need to get over it or that I'm misunderstanding things or I'm not doing things right. Hmm. Um, in a nutshell, just, there was a lot of invalidation, a lot of dismissal from, of my experience. Yeah. I also came to realize that I carry so much trauma from in my lifetime. Um, and there was, I saw it, um, I don't know if answers is the right thing, but it's the right way to say it. But um, more than anything, just kind of, gave voice and also put some flesh, if you will, to some of these things that I was experiencing by myself for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, uh, I really valued the liturgist community here. That's cool. Yeah. So it's interesting cause we actually, we had, a, I had a whole, so I had like sent Crystal, I'm going to explain this a little bit more, but I sent Crystal a bunch of questions in advance and I said, Hey, you know, think about these things. Um, and we burned through the questions actually relatively quickly. Um, but I, I think one thing I want to talk about more um, right now is just, I'll, I'm going to talk about myself for a little bit. Um, you know, I think 
wanted to value in doing this just this podcast that I've been doing for um, almost a year now. Well, I started working on it a year ago. Like all the episodes have been this year so far. But for me, one of the things that when I met Crystal, that was really cool was that she was very frank about <laughs> her almost negative experiences um, when it came to being in the church. And it was it was interesting for me because like. My, one of just to kind of explain more of my path, um, which I have, I guess I've explained a lot of my history and kind of going into my story with my podcast right now, but also um, I told, I explained the story of how the podcast came into being, like a kind of 30,000 feet up view. Um, one of the things that I've been experiencing since I, I haven't been to church in almost two years now, and it was difficult for me transitioning out of church, but also getting divorced at the same time. And I've had a lot of really good friends of mine, um, both both evangelical and non-evangelical, really helped me to feel like I'm being loved and being understood by people. And it's been interesting because a lot of these friends I've known for years. So like either they've been in church and I kind of had to walk through with some of them like, oh yeah, like some of my beliefs are not what they used to be. And that's been difficult conversations and people like, are you okay? Like not understanding like, yeah, I've been hurt, but there have been some really good conclusions that I've come to that are more person centric, more me loving myself. And yeah, I have a lot of anxiety from leaving church and kind of having to form a new identity. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's been such a gift to really own my own beliefs and get to understand myself. So part of, another gift of this meeting crystal has been like here's a person that has walked a very similar road and up till recently uh was very much a part of this system this way of kind of like this is how we understand the world this is the truth um as opposed to kind of looking at a different way of looking at things and saying well what is my truth how do i own this for myself um so i guess one question i had for you like kind of looking at my own journey has been do you feel like there's been a vacuum since you've left the church and left like just kind of left that world of Christianity? Like you've kind of talked about some of your endeavors since then. Uh, I don't know if you could expand on a vacuum, like a void. Yeah. Like, what do you feel like, what do you, what have you felt like you, have you felt this need to replace what you used to believe or like, what has that felt like for you? Yeah. I think in the beginning, I would say, let me think it's 2019. Oh, it's been about two years since I've stopped identifying as a Christian because how I understood Christianity and uh, Christian belief, I just, I wasn't that anymore. And for me, that was a matter of integrity. So it's been about two years since. Um, in the beginning, it was really difficult because the church is everything I've ever known. Um, it's everything that my family's ever done. So uh, it's also where I found communities, where I found purpose. Mm-hmm. Um just everything around my life. It wasn't just like, yeah, I'm a really devout Christian because I go to church once a week. It was like, no, like this is what, like my childhood dream was to become a martyr. Yeah. Like, that's how <laughs> intensely steeped into this I was. Um, it's, it's funny because some of my friends are convinced that I was a part of a cult, which, mm. you know, is also a bigger conversation. But, yeah. Uh, I, I think it was cult-like in the sense that there are a lot of similarities with other cults. Yeah. Um, or like groups that people identify as cults. But as for a community, um, when I, I moved to Chicago about a year ago, 
and community is something that I always highly value and try to create or try to find for myself mm-hmm. and that's something that's had been difficult right before I moved to yeah. Chicago so my goal in coming here and where I knew absolutely nobody and I was determined to start fresh and to build and to live my life as authentically as possible mm-hmm. And my attitude was like, okay, for the first time in my life, I'm going to try to be as unapologetically me as I can be. Mm. And whoever I attract is who I will attract, and I will continue to put myself out there. And I found um, I found a lot of that in the, the literature community here. Um, I mean, I, I will say this, that uh, there's something to be said about the fact that they are pretty much all white. <laughs> <laughs> Um, not that there's anything, I mean, obviously there's nothing wrong with being this or that, but more, I, I mean, more in the sense that my church experience, there's a lot of overlap, but uh, it's still not, there, there's still a lot that I can't really explain. Um, mm. So that's something I'm still trying to work out too. Just like, cause like I said in the very beginning too, um, a lot of Korean church is defined as, or is determined um Church, Korean church culture is determined, like by uh, Koreanness more than it is by denomination, hmm. and that's a huge thing too. And also, my expa- family experiences are completely different. Um, just the way my parents raised me, and why they raised me, the way that they did, uh, so many things. Those things are different. But I'm really grateful that I still have a place where, for the most part, people understand what it's like to have gone through spiritual trauma and people understand um, what it's like to have a huge shift in your worldview mm-hmm. and to have like the rug pulled out from under you. Mm-hmm. So I'm really grateful for that. That's cool. Do you, I guess one question, a follow-up question, I don't know if you'd have an answer for this, but do you, like, do you go on like through like online forums or communities or podcasts, do you find there are a lot of, other deconstructionist Asian American people like has that been something that you're familiar with yeah um, so a couple of years ago I found a group on Facebook called progressive Asian American Christians okay so it's funny you bring that up um, I was actually part of their first fellowship cohort hmm. so I spent a year just you know reading a lot of uh, really intense theological literature and I think at the time I had still identified as a conservative evangelical mm-hmm. with a social justice bent is okay. how I would have described myself at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was maybe summer of 2017. No, summer of 2016, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, in any case, and there was a lot of talk about deconstruction there too. Yeah. Um, which was great. Uh, at the time I was still wrestling with idea like questions about like, like, gender about race um i was still to be completely honest the whole um quote-unquote lgbtq debate was still a huge thing too Mm -hmm. but um, and at the time i remember one of the first sessions we were talking about ethical polygamy or ethical polyamory (laughs) yeah that was so beyond what i was working (laughs) through at the time yeah um but yeah i i found uh that there are not as many, not too many, but there's a good number of Asian Americans too who have also been harmed by the church and yeah. harmed by society as yeah. uh, a minority too. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
so I think I'll have maybe one or two more questions for you. Um, but do you, I guess one thing that I'll I'll bring into our conversation is that has there been has how has the I guess relationship with your family changed since you kind of gone through this deconstruction process? Yeah, it's been pretty rough. Um, right before deconstruction, I was trying really hard to put down boundaries and come to terms with just how much harm has been caused. Um, I would say my relationship now is reluctantly cordial mm. on both sides. Uh, a lot of conversations I've been having with my mom recently is she's saying, I need to forgive and forget. Like mm. That was a long time ago. We didn't know what we were doing. You need to forgive. You need to forget about it. But I don't think forgiveness can be forced. And mm-hmm. I think I'm still... I'm not as angry as I was before, but I'm still in a period of a lot of lament. Yeah. I don't know how long that's going to last, but I think that's necessary before you move on to any type of forgiveness or redemption. Mm-hmm. You need to you know, really come to own your pain. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like that, I guess, you have your family and um, the things they've done to you, but also do you feel like, in a greater sense with the church, do you feel like there would be a forgiveness aspect or something like something where you feel like you're dealing with pain from being in church outside of your family. Like, is there, is there another, I guess I'm wondering about that sort of story as well. Yeah, definitely. It wasn't just my parents. Um, it was definitely the culmination of all of my Christian experience. Um, there has been what I would consider what I would see now as severe spiritual abuse from people Mm -hmm. who are not my parents also Mm um yeah there's a lot of factors it's not just one thing or another thing yeah I think in my years of therapy a lot of uh in a lot of our sessions the root was traced back to mom and dad Mm -hmm. and I don't and I think there's a lot of truth to that and that and that was a huge um wake-up call for me too but I'm also starting to realize that in addition to mom and dad, um, they acted the way that they did because of their experiences Mm. trying to make life in America and also their personal dysfunction as individuals, their family structures. There's also things that went on at school, um, my extended family. There's there's a lot of things. Um, Church definitely played a huge part in it. So what I, in my Christian experience, I'm not just talking about one or two things, but... Um, I kind of just try to consider the whole, I'm considering the whole of, like, the whole average of, like, every Christian I've encountered, Mm -hmm. every type of um, worship service I've ever been through, every thought about God I've ever had, um, every spiritual experience or spiritual encounter I've ever had. It's kind of the culmination of all those things. Yeah. Well, I'm really grateful that we got to talk today. Um... I am thankful. You're actually my first guest on my show <laughs> ever. Awesome. I feel so special and so honored. Um, and it's so cool that we got to really connect and talk more about just um, just your story, honestly. Like, it, it really, I, I think one thing, just to share one last thing, um, the reason I thought to interview Crystal was she was part of a uh, Asian, East Asian American storytelling group um, for how many months was it? Uh, it had been maybe five months. Yeah. I was, it was about five months in when we met. Yeah. Um, and I saw her do this presentation back in May, and she was in front of like 70 people and vulnerably shared her story with all these people. And I was like, wow, like 
you really are amazing. Like it takes oh, a lot thank of you. it takes a lot of courage to do that. Um, I left out some grimy details for this episode. Yeah, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> um, but I think that just in itself was something where I felt like, wow, like she has a lot of courage to do this, and it encourages me to have courage to share my story with this podcast. And I thought I want more people like Crystal on the show to kind of share their stories and however they feel comfortable to do so. Um, because I think that really, just I, I want there's to be, for me, it's like, I want to share my story, but I want to just have as many voices as possible on here and to talk about what does it mean to have different spiritualities. In this case, um, Crystal has a story very similar to my own, but also very different in a lot of the details. So um, yeah, it was great to interview today and I'm thankful we got to do this. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, until next time, I just uh, hope that you keep exploring what you believe and always pre- feel free to provide feedback, um, preferably through the website, theirlonelywaves.com, but also uh, iTunes or just email me or text me or just we can have a person-to-person conversation. Either way, I would love to talk to you about the content that I'm producing. So uh, until next time, um, we'll, we'll pick up the next episode um, basically where I left off in the third episode, just talking about my story, where I was when I was 25 and, um, just continuing along that journey. So until then, uh, I bid you adieu.